Hello, hello, Podcast Movement 2019. How are you? Good. Welcome to the last session of our live stage, of our wonderful VoxNest live stage. And this is where you can say goodbye to me if I'm too loud. Now, we've heard a lot about podcasting. Different, different tracks. Right? Like monetization, creation, storytelling, partnerships, what are podcast networks, comedy, all of that. It's been quite a learning experience. Outside of these walls, you will also see a lot of advice and people telling you the rules of podcasting, what you should do and what you shouldn't. And I enjoy coming to conferences like this, super targeted, where the curators have done an amazing job of bringing people together who know what they're talking about and bring passion podcasters just like yourselves. It's a great place to be. And today, as the last session of our live stage, we are bringing the OGs and I would say the titans of podcasting together for this stage. We're bringing a live show of the new media show, hosted by two podcast Hall of Fame inductees, Rob Greenlee of VP Content and Partnerships and Libsyn, and Todd Cotrain, CEO of Blueberry. The three people joining them are Sarah Von Messel, the chief revenue officer of a company that you might have heard of. It's a small company, Stitcher. Right? It's somewhere over there. You might have heard of it. Also, yes, we got it. We also got Rob Walsh, Walsh the VP of Podcast Relations at Lipson. And more VPs, Lindsay Bowen, the VP of Podcasts and Content Partners at one more company. I, I don't know if I've ever heard of it. Pandora? Yeah, Pandora, right? So please, as our last session, as our last panel on the live stage, the VoxNest live stage, give a round of applause as I introduce our panelists, Rob Greenlee, Rob Walsh, Sarah Von Messel, Lindsay Bowen, and Todd Cotray. As we do it on the podcast, welcome to the New Media Show. My name is Todd Cochran, and of course, I want to say hello to everyone there. Of course, I want to welcome my co-host, Mr. Rob Greenlee. Welcome to the New Media Show, and make sure you get over to newmediashow.com and subscribe to the podcast, all right? So we've got a great lineup today. Rob, you want to introduce our guest? I think they've already been semi-introduced. Yeah, but... I think we've had all the intros done for us, which we uh, normally um, don't have that. So that's what's great about doing live a live podcast here is that we get all this fancy stuff. But but yeah, we, we've got a terrific um, panel here of experts really in the podcasting space. Guys have been and ladies have been around the the medium for many many years that can. That can drive some insights into what's happening in the podcast market, Todd. So if you want to kick it off with the first topic. And for those of you that have watched the show for years, you guys will know that Rob and I never prep. So Lindsay is disappointed today because we have prepped. So this is, uh, this is unusual for us. We normally go for an hour and a half and just talk podcasting. But we're going to start off today with a topic. And I will actually kick it to you first, Lindsay, is... And we're going to talk about how should podcast distribution evolve because you guys are on the forefront of that. You're part of the, the big change in podcasting at Pandora. So where should we go with podcasting as it evolves from a distribution standpoint? Sure. I'm, I'm happy to answer that. But I do want to say that I'm mainly disappointed because you've mocked me on the last two episodes 
for preparing and telling you that I was preparing. So I stopped halfway through and I was listening to like 2252, stop preparing. And luckily that topic is one of the ones I thought about a little bit. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, that what Pandora has done in, in following Stitcher uh, in, and in following Spotify and, and other, you know, platforms into the medium is um, made it so, as, as Rob was pointing out earlier today, you can now say that you can hear podcasts anywhere that you listen to digital music. Anywhere that you listen to audio, you can hear podcasts. Um, iHeart has also done that with their Sunday night podcast uh, uh, station. Um, we're becoming ubiquitous, and I think it's really important. We can use technology more, though, because we're not just audio. You know, we're not just talking over the airwaves. And part of that is measurement. Part of that are things we're going to talk about in, in other ways of communicating with our audience. But something we're really excited about at Pandora is, is contextual listening and contextual playing. So if you think of the simplest re things, we have uh, workout playlists for music, for example. Uh, uh, playlists that you would listen to at a party. Um, we should have that with podcasting as well. And we don't necessarily need the listener to tell us what they're doing. If we can get the right piece of audio to the right person at the right time, you don't listen to the same podcast at night as you do in the morning. You don't listen to the same podcast on the weekends as you do during the week. And because part of what the value proposition for Pandora is, is our recommendation engine, suggesting listens to people. We want to suggest listens to people, not just the right people, but at the right time. You know, Sarah, Stitcher's been in the space a long, long time. Uh, I, I, you're going to have to even tell us when Stitcher started. I forget. It's been forever. But how do you see the new entrance and what is, what's happening new at Stitcher as well? Yeah. So um, I can tell you that my Stitcher app, when I open it, says I've been a listener since 2013. <laughs> I've got like 87 million hours. No, lots of millions of hours. But um, yeah, I think... To answer the question around uh, distribution and also what's new at Stitcher, um, I'm new at Stitcher, so that's a thing. <laughs> and we're thinking about um, sort of how we interact with the podcast ecosystem in lots of ways. Um, we're moving toward full-scale dynamic uh, uh, ad insertion with our partners uh, Triton and Omni Studios, who um, I'll be speaking with tomorrow morning. Um, so that's really exciting. And we're also taking very seriously the insights that we get through the platform about listening. And that's informing a lot of our content strategy, particularly our owned and operated shows. So I think it's twofold. One, we want to serve the audience wherever they're listening with the shows that we work with and the shows that we create. But two, we also want to do the best job we possibly can about using the insights and the data that we have through the platform to serve up the best possible experience. And I'm sure that you would agree. So, You know, one thing that we know is RSS is the great equalizer. Without an open RSS, the distribution and basically freedom that we have in podcasting to decide where our content goes would really not be possible. Rob Walsh, do you think that there's a movement, though, to... To, to have gatekeepers out there is, is are we starting to see some of that with RSS and, and, and it being internalized and put behind paywalls? Well, some people want that and people have been saying that RSS is going to die. It's, it's, it's on its way out. And they started saying that when consumption was at about 80, 85% on RSS and now it's at 92% via RSS. We've seen it growing up, not down. And I, I'll tell you right here, 15 years from now, 
predominantly 80 plus percent still going to be through RSS. I, I do not see it going away because it's an open standard. It's a, le it's a playing field leveler. Though I do believe more, more content's gonna go behind uh, paywalls, I think, over time. I think it's a natural fallout, I think, from the quality of content in the medium going up. I think um, more, more investment in, in content um, does drive business models that are kind of gonna require maybe different monetization strategies. So I think we are gonna see um, more podcast-like content put behind paywalls, um, but at that point, you have to ask, is it a podcast, right? Or is it just original content that's being produced for a paid, paid for uh, subscription service? If I could jump in here, Stitcher does have a premium offering. And the way we look at it, again, is in that philosophy of super serving the listener. So if they have a relationship with the free version of the show and they want to go even deeper, they have that opportunity with that option. But it's not in any way required. It's really for that super fan who wants to have an even closer relationship. Yeah, And it's yep. usually a very small percentage. I mean, if you get to 1% to 2%, you're actually doing really well with the premium. And the majority of podcasts out there don't have the, the time or con content to do premium, and more importantly, are looking for distribution, not hiding of content. Now, there are, there's going to be a small percentage right. that look to hide it right. and, and look to pro profit off of it or privatize it. But I still think you can see the majority of the shows wanting to be everywhere as, as easily as possible. Right, and, and premium content has existed in the entire, most of the entire lifespan of podcasting. And it's oftentimes been a split between um, some paid-for episodes and some free episodes. And I think that's the model, like you were talking about, Sarah, that I think um, does kind of straddle this line that can keep you know, some audio like that considered a podcast. I would like to point out one more thing just, just on the, the paywall point. Um, you know, I'm a Patreon member of several shows, and that does give you that extra content, just like Citra Premium does, to engage you know, with, with uh, some of your favorite shows and get something a little, a little extra. But there's also, content is diversifying. It's, it's going beyond just sort of the interview show format of, of many sort of classic podcasts. And as we get into fiction podcasting more and more, it's more expensive to produce. At some point, you're paying a writer's room. Maybe they're even sag after uh, um, um, fees to be paid. And some content can only be paid, it has to be paid for in some way other than two quarters behind through advertising. Um, so sometimes I think it's, it's appropriate for things to be born behind a, a paywall, maybe be windowed, and, and then be out there for everybody to enjoy. It's not elitism, it's just a different structure of, of production. You know, I think from my perspective on distribution, it's, you know, I've said for many, many years, I don't care where my listeners listen as long as they listen. And, and discovery is often said to be a problem. But I think talking with like the Google team that's here this week and seeing what they're kind of road mapping ahead and trying to pry a little information out of them, I think we could end up seeing a point where we're able to find content by our favorite, by the world's favorite search engine and be able to get into specific content we're looking for much easier. So from that standpoint, again, it's, we don't care where they listen as long as they listen. So I know this is a little bit off our topic base. I'm just kind of curious on everyone's thought and maybe the two Robs can weigh in on, you know, where do you think this is going to go with Google search? Well, I think it's all about context, right? I think uh, there's so much context that's buried in the audio, right? So long form content, talks about a lot of different subjects. I mean, this, this panel is a classic example of that. There's so much depth 
in the content, right? How do you expose that variety that's in, included in that depth, right? And I think the transcriptions and the the segmenting that technology is going to bring to it with, um, you know, the machine learning technology that some of these big tech companies are applying to audio now are really, I think, going to start to expose the deep content that's in podcasts. As long as you don't have an Australian accent or uh, an Irish accent. Right. You're right now, the biggest problem we see with transcription is wrong. It, it, I mean, we would love to have a transcription service that we bake into our system, but right now, the best ones out there are 85 to 90% accurate. The Temi is one of the best ones out there. And it, it, you hit it with an Australian accent, and that 85 plummets. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I think um, I've been hearing a lot from a lot of folks that are popping up in the transcription space, and as a sort of ad tech nerd, I'm really excited about the potential for finding brand-safe content for, for brand advertisers right. to go there. And so hopefully, like most things in podcasting, over time it gets better and better. Um, but I'm really excited about the ad tech potential in that space. Right. It's context to the advertiser. Exactly. Right. Right. And, and I think when the AI gets to the point where it really gets the language and the transcriptions aren't 85, but they're 95 and 98% accurate, I think you're really going to see the boom. People forget, when you're 90% accurate, which is the best of anybody out there, that's still, for an hour long, that's 800, 900 words wrong. And it's usually the important words. Right. Shifting gears a little bit, I want to talk about uh, advertising specifically. It's going to be wrapped around content on platforms, maybe by Pandora, potentially by Spotify. I'm just sure I don't think you guys have any plans. Lindsay, is there any plans at Pandora to put advertising in front of podcasts that are on the platform as a way to pay for the service? I understand Pandora's got to make money, and I think we all respect that. But sometimes it can be a sensitive topic with podcasters, especially if there's maybe a competing advertiser that's baked into the content that runs up against. What's your, you know, what's kind of Pandora's thoughts on that? Sure. Well, you know, we are an ad sales organization. And, and to, to speak really briefly, I, I didn't come here intending to be a corporate shill, but with these topics, you guys are making it real easy for me. So thank you. <laughs> Uh, but uh, but but in in um, search in music search in particular, you know, we've been doing it for twenty years. Now we we haven't been doing it for twenty years with machine learning and with transcription. Although that is a part of what we do, we are, there's also a human element. We have people who are tagging the elements in the music genome project. We're musicologists. We're doing the same with podcasts. We use transcription. We use machine learning. Uh, we use things that we can tell from the RSS feed about the audio itself. But we also have people who listen to the podcast and, and pick one of you know, these elements to, to do it, which enables listeners to, to search a little more easily. Um, I, you know, using the transcriptions that we're already creating to make sure we're running brand-safe advertising, to get back to advertising, is actually a pretty great idea. And I hope we've already thought of it. If not, we'll start doing it soon. Um, we are not running advertising without people's permission, full stop. Uh, we, we are not, in fact, even putting podcasts into our catalog without people's permission. So, so when you talked about the open RSS feed, that's absolutely true. That allows you to control the, the, a broad reach. What an open RSS, RSS feed doesn't necessarily allow you to do is to stay off of a certain platform. 
because it is implied permission. Now, you can always withdraw implied permission. We've seen that several times this year. There are big podcasters that aren't on certain platforms, even though they have an open RSS feed. They, they've asked not to be. Uh, so we don't have a single of our 3,000, very small catalog uh, and growing, we don't have a single podcast that has not given us permission to, to include in the catalog. And it's the same thing with advertising. We have a big ad sales force. We have 550 salespeople across the country. We have local ad salespeople. We really want to sell ads on people's podcasts. But we want to convince them of the value proposition of us doing it. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. Sure. Do you see RevShare coming to podcasters on Pandora? Uh, 100%. I mean, that's not the rev share. Hold on. Hold it is on. not 100% rev share. <laughs> <laughs> I am certain that I see rev share coming to podcasters on Pandora. Um, uh, that, that's, been, that, that's been baked into the plans from the beginning. Um, there, there are certain you know, uh, larger deals where, where we might be doing something other than a rev share for very limited advertising, or maybe we have license fees with certain po- podcasts. But the bulk of what we're going to be doing is giving a rev share back to the creator. Um, and, and we will put you on the podcast uh, on our platform with a pass-through, with your own ads, and not our ads, but show you what our sell-through rates are, what our expected CPMs in our marketplace are, and what a rev share is, and let you decide you know, if it makes sense for you to use our ads or not. I think you just made headlines. Rob? <laughs> well, let's, let, let's kind of shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit more at the advertising side of things, because there's, there's a lot of things going on with that, right? Um, like, what type of ads are we placing? I know, Sarah, you're, you're really an expert in dynamic ad insertion and utilizing um, very kind of native advertising in that area. Do you see that as really the future of this, is dynamically inserted um, host read-like advertising is the do- continuing to be the dominant advertising um, content? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think I see the diversification of ad products as the future. Right. I think that there's definitely a place for branded, uh, for custom, I see a place for host red ads. I see a place for announcer red ads. Okay. I see a place for programmatic ads. I think the, the you know, glorious future is that when we have sort of sales professionals in the field using the right tools for the right job when right. they're talking to marketers and really understanding through research what tools do, you know, perform best for what KPIs. And so, yes, all of those things. And I think dynamic ad insertion just allows you to track and measure a whole lot more and right. allows it's, you to scale. And that's the big deal. It's a very effective technology at putting content in specific places and targeting content to specific um, geolocations. So y- you can do a lot of things with it, but it seems like um, that there's, there's a lot of... Um, Variance in CPMs that can come out of different types of, um, like, programmatic typically doesn't pay as much CPMs than host reads do. So how do we kind of balance that as we look to the future? Um, because most podcasters want to make as much money as they can. Yeah, I mean, I think the way that podcasters make as much as they can is to have their campaigns work. Right? right, so right. that advertisers right. come back. Right. And so if a campaign is right for an advertiser that includes a combination of set host reads in their show 
with an announcer read across a selection of shows with similar audience so that you can get reach in addition to that personality-driven impact. You know, you can have a more efficient CPM in that scenario because one is obviously more premium than the other, but when you combine them, that's a more efficient CPM. So I think it's about really doing the hard work of learning how to make the combination of these tools really effective for the advertiser because at the end of the day, that's what's going to drive growth. So you think it's a combination of kind of programmatic type ad as well as host reads? It depends on the campaign. Yeah, it really depends on the campaign. And I think like it's going to be the golden age of research in the next, you know, 18 to 24 months because we have all these capabilities and now, and honestly, I don't think it's the same across the board. I think that you're going to have a different best practice for a huge show like Freakonomics as you are for a smaller show. You know, there's a right way to buy both based on publishing frequency, size, all of those things. So I think it's about learning how to teach buyers to buy your particular combination of shows. And then there's psychographic ad buys yes. where people are buying on a specific topic. Yes. And you can have a small show making more than a large show if you get the right ad buyer exactly. where the audience is 100% match versus a demographic ad buy. Exactly. You know, I think we also need to acknowledge that there's a, a large portion of podcasters in the space that don't want any ads at all. So, you know, we have this... I don't pers- know her. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Who? We, and I think we have uh, a percentage of those folks that may, you know, may be uh, annoyed by having advertising wrapped around their, around their podcast on a platform. You know, Rob, what's your... Rob Walsh, what's your thought on that? Well, that's the beauty where the RSS comes in and the distribution. You don't have to have ads if you don't want to have ads. You can get your show out everywhere and choose not to have advertising. A lot of people don't. Trader Joe's doesn't want ads on their podcast. Their podcast is a, is a branding promotional vehicle. But I'm referring to when it's on another platform and there's ads wrapped around it front and back that they basically well, have no control. It then those shows, people will start pulling shows from those platforms. If they, you know, some shows are not going to want ads around it. Joe Rogan doesn't want other people putting ads around his show. He has his own. You know, so he's going to pull where if someone tries to do that. People have the power. And then there's, again, other shows have no desire. Like Joyce Meyer has no desire to have ads wrapped around her show or near her show. On being with Krista Tippett, mm-hmm. same. Well, especially if there's no revenue share going yeah. on yeah. with that, right? Yeah, Sam Harris. Right. Forget that. You're not going to get any. You, you don't pull yank his content and lickety split if there's no, you know, if there's ads around it. He doesn't want it. He doesn't want it on his regular feed. So, so one. I mean, when you talk about the open RSS feed, the whole point of this medium is is creator control and and the flexibility. So, so I think that goes in a lot of different ways. So, unless creators buy into a long-term onerous contract at a time when they didn't know what they were doing they shouldn't have to be, be confronted with, with that problem at all. You know, we see, I'm shipping topics just a little bit, bouncing around here. We see um, additional uh, proliferation of free, ho- free podcast hosts. We've got one that's launched back there called Launchpad. Uh, obviously, Anchor's a free podcast host. Where do you think that medium's going? And I'll let you two weigh on that, and then we'll go around. Those of us that are stakeholders that should be of concern. I can wait. I mean, I think uh, the more on-ramps there are for content creators to get their stuff out there, 
Um, they need to be thoughtful about where they're going. Are those places where um, dynamic ad insertion enables advertising to run across the long tail, we call it, right? And so it's really about math at that point when they're thinking about the capabilities available to them on a, on a platform. So if you are a smaller show and a million-dollar buy comes through that network and you represent a small percentage of the overall impressions, math just states that you're probably going to get a smaller chunk than, you know, the larger scale at, you know, show that will just eat up more of the impressions. It's just math. But you won't get any if you're not in there, right? And if you really take the time to understand who your audience is and make sure that your partners understand what you bring to the table, again, think of a universe where there are five on-ramps for revenue into every show as opposed to just one. The more you can make yourself available um, and I think the platform is one of the first places and just the nuances of the relationships that when you make that choice um, really can bring that to bear when it comes to revenue, which is what I think about. Yeah, because there's certainly a lot of potential revenue models that podcasts have been embracing for many years. I mean, people sell books, people sell their, their expertise, um, or they, they have trainings that they sell on their platform and and some that are just promoting their careers, right? So there, there's a lot, lot of ways that podcasters earn money in this medium. And it's not just always advertising. Yeah. And who's to say you have to even make money? You can have a podcast as a hobby. You can have fun you with just it. Just have fun. Yeah. Right? I mean, some people do this just for, for fun. And that's, now, what, th that's what we do with this show. Right, we don't make yeah. any money on and, this and, show. Yeah. And per I think the, making money is fun. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's like counting, right? It's Todd charged me a very large speaker fee like for this. Like, <laughs> look, the majority... Like look, score. The majority... 75% of podcasts will never make any money. Will never make any money. And as a disclosure, I think we've made about 40 bucks in donations on the show since we started, so we did make a little money. Uh, what but, rev share but, are you offering, yeah, I, Todd? Yeah, I didn't get any rev share on that, Todd. So, <laughs> so you know, I don't want to, to totally focus on average. Oh, go ahead. I just want to say one thing about, about free uh, um, uh, host, hosting platforms. I think it's fantastic. I think it's great. I think there's lots of reasons to do a podcast. Right. You certainly add, we're now seeing podcast listeners and podcasters become more and more diverse. We don't want to have any barriers for entry to anybody. Um, um, and, and having lots and lots of options for hosts, platforms is, is fantastic. Right. But I also think it should come along with education. You know, right. that's that pod fade article we all made fun of in the Times uh, that a lot of people will... You mean will... the one from The Onion? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's an old thing in the, in the Times style section that they would make fun of it as two is a trend. If something happened two times, it, they'll write a story about it and call it a trend. Um, but but the, you know, there also needs to become, uh, be an educational component, I think, to these, to these free host platforms. So they understand it's really important to have a regular cadence. It's really important to make sure to, to pay attention to how it sounds. Because you know, on Pandora, we don't consider ourselves gatekeepers, but we have 3,000 podcasts out of 700,000. We're not going to be looking for the ones that, that have a lot of room to grow and get better. We'd like to make sure they have those basic things down pat because we're introducing a brand new audience to podcasts for the first time. And we want them to develop a habit. Well, you know, there, I want to ask one more thing on the free. I think Anchor proved one very important point. There is no technological barrier to entry in podcasting. There's a content barrier to entry in podcasting. I mean, 75% of those shows are dead shows, right, on, on Anchor. Why? Because creating content is a lot harder 
than technology to create podcasts. And then you have to ask yourself, is it worth some of these? There's one that's now saying, you know, come on for free hosting, and you can put a- they can put ads wherever they want on your show, and da-da-da. Would you sell your brand for $5 a month? I think the, my point is, and I don't want to get too pounding on competition, is that whatever you decide, read the contract and, and, and read it closely. Take the time to go through and understand what you may be giving up or what you may be gaining. So there's, there's two sides to that fence as well. So I, while I don't want to focus this whole show on advertising, we have to talk about the topic that's probably burned my ear up the most at this show. And this is the IEB podcast V2 measurement guidelines. Um, you know, I'll be just full disclaimer, my company's certified, Libsyn is certified. So, we, you know, we are fully bought in on this. But I, I think I want to know is how is the certification going to change the industry and how advertising is executed in the space. Well, Todd, before we jump too far into that, there's probably a lot of people that are listening to this or watching this that maybe don't know what the IAB V2 is. So maybe we should explain what that is a little bit. I don't know if you want to Sure. So in, in 2015, an effort was undertook by the IAB to get industry participants um, I think there was about 30 companies that participated in a process to come out with a set of measurement guidelines, not standards, measurement guidelines that we could all follow when it came to measuring podcasts. There was two versions. We're on version two of that now. Um, it basically lays out the, the rules, I guess you would say, and I don't even want to call them rules. Again, guidelines on how you will uh, measure shows. And um, there's now a certification process that companies are going through to, to um to prove that they actually meet the compliance standards that, that are laid out in, those, in that document. And a number of companies have gotten through that process. Yeah, and it took five years for us to work through all the, the, the issues. There was a lot of different opinions on which, how things should be counted, what's the methodology, and that's one of the reasons why it's a guideline, right? It's not a strict specification. So there is going to be some variance still between platforms on this. I, I was on every one of those calls, every one of those meetings, we spent four months one time debating whether a podcast download should be called a download or something else. And at the end of the day, we came back after four months realizing download was the best, worst term for it. <laughs> so it was a very frustrating um, time. And then you'd have times where Norm Pattis would get on from podcast one and he would just totally railroad the thing and we'd be like, oh, just get Norm off the phone so we can get some work done. Norm, are you here? No, no. <laughs> no. Um, as, the, as the podcast committee chair from the IAB, I think the idea behind it was really to help get revenue onto the platform, right? So that if you're a buyer, you could say, okay, is it apples and apples? Is everybody counting the same right. way? I don't care if it's right. I just need it right. to all be the same. Yeah. So that if I buy or, X amount of impressions from this one right. and X amount from this one, I know I'm getting the same amount of stuff. Yeah, or very close to the same. Exactly. I, I think was the goal. Because I don't know that we can ever get to everybody's exactly the same down and, to... And Sarah and I can never get those parts of our life back. <laughs> <laughs> I think I to, blocked it out. <laughs> to, to, to speak from a slight outsider perspective, because we're a streaming service, right? right. Not a download service. We're, we're covered by a, a different certification by IIEB. But 
more transparent and better measurement is good for everybody. I mean, right. it lifts all ships. It's going to help uh, grow the, the entire podcasting business, which is good whether you're a streamer, whether you're doing downloads, whether you are compliant today or, or you're trying yeah. to become compliant and, or where you, whether you're certified today right. or trying to become certified. Everybody should cheer every time we see a company get certified. Yeah, it's all about trust. I, I think really? also there was, you know, there's discussion in this space that sometimes is unfounded in that this is conspiracy and we're trying to screw independent content creators. Well, my bet bread and butter is independent content creators. Our, my job was to go in there and to hold the line and protect independent content creators from our perspective and our philosophy. And, you know, there was a lot of give and take in that process. But, I, you know, I want everyone to walk away today with the understanding that the, the IEB process was facilitated by the IEB, but the pure decision-making on what went into that document and was ultimately signed off for was all the companies that are back there, plus ones that are not here, um, that signed off on a, a guideline that was worked through over multiple years. And believe me, it was every sentence and word in that document was probably argued over. So... You can't satisfy 100% of the people all the time, but you look at the signing list of that document, and we got a pretty big consensus. Well, Todd, let's, let's talk about what the, what the reality is of this. I mean, it's rolling out across the industry. I think we have, what, eight to nine companies that have now been certified. Um, not everybody's certified, and it's, it's causing some, some shows to have a little bit of heartache because they're, they're, they're seeing their numbers drop because we're, we're doing a better job of filtering out um, basically false, um, false requests for media files. Uh, it's not real audience. And some people are taking a hit. And I know uh, those of us on the stage are, are hearing from many podcasters right now that are, their numbers are dropping and they're upset and it's causing some problems. I don't know if we want to talk about that. Well, first off, I want to say this. Saying you're compliant doesn't make you compliant. There are multiple companies that will tell you, and I have emails from them saying, oh, we're, com we're compliant. We do this. We read the spec. We're compliant. Yet that same company would then count one byte range request, a one byte file request. Right, so there are companies that are saying they're compliant, they're not. There are other companies that said they're compliant, then they started going through the compliance and their numbers have dropped 75%, and they're not yet certified. So saying you're compliant is bull. <laughs> it, it's not correct. You have to be certified or in certification. Let's be fair. All of us took a hit. All of us went through and had slight adjustments to our numbers. It just was the way it was. So until the company goes through the certification process and who, what a process it is. Um, well, it's like, takes like five months to go through it. Right. Yeah, I want you to talk a little bit about that process. So, and, you know, I don't want to get into the details, but it's, if you've ever been through a, a IRS forensic audit, that's a, that's a walk in the park compared to the audit that we went through with the uh, IEB audit team. Um, it's a very, very difficult and complex uh, process. No stone is left unturned. There may be little variances between companies and they have to make judgment calls. But overall, I was very impressed with the process, even though it probably cost me a man year in time to get through it. Well, seriously. Um, but at the same point, I think it's going to be good for the space. So I guess, you know, we've talked about this a lot over the last year. What does it mean now? Are we going to start seeing RFPs with certification required? Are there, and there's going to be a group of people that are 
not certified that are going to be on the sideline really probably not happy about this because it's going to be an impact. I don't know what the mitigation is going to be in the midterm, but, you know, where do you guys think this is going to fall out? Sir, do you have any thoughts yeah, on this? Yeah, no, I mean, my thought is I, I just landed in my role a few months ago, and we're going through a huge transformation as we move folks over to dynamic ad insertion. We're moving towards certification. Um, I think it's been left to our partners to decide on a case-by-case basis in the past, and because we're sort of changing our whole uh, approach to advertising, we need uh, a lot of unification around measurement and all of those things right. in this brave new world of ours. So um, I think... What you may lose in scale, you'll gain in effectiveness, for sure. Do you think think that's going to drive CPMs higher in the future? Again, depends on which tool in the toolbox you're talking about, right? Because at the same time this is happening, you're getting this diversification of ad products, so it's not an apples-to-apples thing. There's not like a direct comparison between there was before and there's after, because there was before and now there's all these other ways to interact with the shows. But if the buyers are buying um, more authentic or real audience, not inflated audience numbers, right? Does that drive a higher kind of like percentage ROI to the advertiser that they will value more? Or, and it's about trust too, right? Yeah. Right. So I, I think it's actually going to increase the pool of advertisers. Right, so, that's you know, right. we, we've had uh, uh, people from Pandora talk about in the past, oh, we have brand advertisers, not direct response. And then I hear back from my friends at Podcast World, are you denigrating direct response advertisers? That they built this, they, they built this industry, don't, don't ignore your history. And that's not what we're doing. We're, just, we're, we're stating a fact that we have a lot of brand advertisers, and they demand perfect you know, uh, uh, stats and accountability. So once that happens, I think the, people are waiting for more brand advertisers in this space, Right. To, to, to supplement and to go along with the direct response advertisers, who are great. Uh, and you'll see that more and more when you have more and more IAB uh, uh, certification, I think. I, think- I, I do want to address one thing that Rob said about creators and about their CPMs going down. And, and I want to make sure that doesn't get lost because um, there is a real focus on the creator. And, and some people are making their car payments you know, with, with their podcast money. And that really sucks. Like that, that, is, that, that is a terrible thing that you, that you may see your numbers go down and you see your revenue go down. Um, everybody should be div- diversified and not just live and die by the download, especially a non-IAB uh, compliant or certified download. You should be doing touring. You should be doing merch. You should be doing Patreon. You should be doing you know, any, any, other ca- any part of the Buffalo you can make some money at. Um, and, but this pain, this, this temporary pain will pay off in, in a more stable revenue stream for, for any podcasters who want a more stable revenue stream in the future. How many of you out there right now have took a hit on your numbers? Can I show, is any hands? All right, so a few. So not too many that's been totally affected. But, you know, here's the thing. If you, if you do see a hit, just remember, if you're running advertising in your shows today and the numbers drop tomorrow because your hosting provider went through the certification process, that doesn't lower the value that you're currently delivering. The ROI is still the same. So that what it really means is that your, your, your show is more valuable than what you thought it was. So right. technically, you should be able to go out there and make the difference up almost immediately with a discussion and raise the CPMs. Yeah, I think the key takeaway, Todd, and you just tapped into it, is that you didn't lose any audience. What you, what you got was a clearer, more accurate picture of what your audience is. 
And I think that's the key thing to think about it. You were getting paid, if you're running ad campaigns, you were getting paid on um, audience that wasn't real. It wasn't really there. But now you know that with greater confidence, now nothing is perfect about digital measurement, right? I'm not going to well, say that it's perfect, but it, it's an agreed to standard and at least we have something. Results, at the end of the day, results dictate value, right? right? Exactly. So if you R1. were running a campaign right. on your show before and it yielded X result, that's how valuable it was. If you run that campaign on a more concentrated audience, next you're going to yield Y result, right. which may be a different value, maybe right. higher because it, the result is higher because you've got that concentrated. And hopefully that will reach. raise the CPMs higher, mm -hmm. right? That's the goal. I, I do want to do some complete corporate shillery for one second. <laughs> you keep seeing, saying CPMs. CPMs are really important. But CPMs do not necessarily equal money in your pocket, right? It's CPMs and right. sell-through. So you can have a million, well, you can have a $100 CPM, and if you sell 1% of your inventory, you're not doing great. And, and that's where these different tiers, you know, we think of as, as a pyramid at Pandora right. with a sponsorship, which could be a host rate at the top, right. and more wide buys, you know, as you go down. A low CPM, if you sell 90 to 100% of that, you can make a lot of money that way. Right. And a lot of podcasters sell per episode or sell just their show sponsorship. So it doesn't have, you know, I know that the, the public radio folks, they sell sponsorships, right? Not advertisements. So is there a difference, Sarah, do you think, in, in how public radios approach this that we can learn from, do you think? I mean, most public radio sell CPMs based on right, purchase. Right, right. No, but <laughs> and I mean, just because you can't do a call to action doesn't mean, or actually they can right. do calls to action. I so. mean, is public radio moving closer to a commercial advertising model every year, you think? Yeah. You think so? <laughs> okay. All right. No, I think, honestly, it's um, the public radio has firm guidelines about what you can and cannot say in just a, content, a sponsorship right. message over right. the air but it seems those guidelines go away once it becomes on demand i think that you'll find the entities have um in interior like guidelines internally that they still um will draw the line at a certain point because at that point um you know, they're, they can do more with podcasting because it's not regulated by the FCC, um, but it's, by, it's, it's nowhere near sort of a radio guideline. Let's just put it that way. It seems it went from, and today's episode was brought to you with a kind donation from <laughs> General Electric to buy Harry's razors. That is a difference. Public right? radio people shave too. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it just, it's a very different feel when you listen on NPR and then when you listen on demand. Yeah, well, and what I think you'll find is much stricter firewalls with journalism. So you're not going to find a journalist at any public radio station endorsing a product. Right. Whereas the more entertainment and lifestyle shows are a little bit more flexible about this is not sort of, right. you know, you're not risking the credibility of a journalist by having them endorse a product. And, and, and there, there's some commonalities across the board between public radio organizations. So you'll see no endorsements, you'll see no offers, you'll see no prices mentioned, you'll see no comparative guidelines. Um, and there's also a lot of, of um, creators that have strict self-imposed guidelines about children's content too. And, you know, all, all these things that, that the sort of uh, this whole conversation is wrapped into how can we use the technology to, to meet all these challenges, the transcriptions can, can help with those things. So. 
And getting away from host reads helps sometimes with children's advertising because right. you're not doing endorsements. Right. If anyone has questions about public radio guidelines, Corey Boudelier is in the office, is in the <laughs> audience from WNYC. He's raising his hand right there. He can answer any question. So I do, I do want to switch gears a little bit here, and we're, we're, we're going to try to trend into the same type of topics, but Rob Walsh, you've been tracking uh, what's going on with the streaming music platforms and their growth in the space. Uh, where's that headed, and are we going to see them continue to gain on share of podcast listenership? Yeah, well, I just did a presentation and, and we talked about where we're at. And you know, right now, Spotify is at now 11.6%. Uh, Google Podcasts is up to 1.6% of the consumption. And that puts Google at 1.6 at sixth place. So they're one of the top eight. And, and Spotify is number two at 11.6. But then I look back at how many downloads, raw downloads, Apple Podcasts had last year. And how many on, in August of last year, and then July of, of this year. And I compared the numbers. And while uh, Google Podcast grew like 236% and Spotify grew 100 and something percent and Apple grew 22%, the reality was there was more growth raw numbers to Apple's 22% than there was for everybody else combined. So people that are saying that Apple's down or that this, the reality is more new listeners came in from Apple Podcasts last year last year, when you go looked at the August versus July, then all the other platforms combined. Right. A, you know, the other interesting thing was when you looked at the top ones that were up there, you saw, you know, you see Apple Podcasts, you see Google now, you see Spotify, you see um, Stitcher. Stitcher, you see Stitcher, you also <laughs> see, wait, but you also see Overcast. So you have Fortune 500 company, Fortune 500 company, Fortune 500 company, Fortune 500 company, a guy in his beach house... <laughs> On his own, on, on Fire Island. So, Marco, good job. So what that tells me, though, is what we're having is net gain. Net gain, so everyone's rising at the same time, which is, that's very exciting. Yeah. If you think that we're adding more listeners, so next year, Tom Webster's share of ears should see some significant increases in, in basically the, you know, the listenerships across America. So, but globally... You know, Spotify is having a pretty good run in some countries. Right. Absolutely. So They're growing faster internationally than, um, than Apple has, right? Is Pandora sticking to the U.S.? Is there an international initiative afoot? I'm sorry to throw that at you, but I'm curious. I've already made headlines once. I'm not going to... Um, <laughs> now, uh, Pandora is a U.S.-only product, and a lot of that is driven by the music side. So, so some of these conversations, <laughs> when, you, when you're saying, oh, we're the number one music app internationally... Okay, but we are the one number I want to point one thing out here sure. for Pandora. Spotify was 11.6 with 40% of our shows. Pandora was 0.3% with less than 1%. Oh. So Pandora, when it's rolled out to more shows, actually projects out like 15%. Right, so, so we're also number one with the shows where we compete. Maybe not number one, but, but we're up there with the shows where we compete. And, and we're trying to walk before we can run, right? We're trying to be, to be humble. We're trying to learn from, from a, an industry that existed long before we got right. here and has a lot of OGs right. to learn from, <laughs> um, but also learn from the data. And, and so, so we're starting small. We are planning on growing. Uh, I have no, of no plans to grow internationally, but we are planning on growing our catalog tremendously. That, that starts with our announcement yesterday. Um, and I forget the question because I'm just shilling now and I apologize. <laughs> okay. I, well, I have this to, show is on Pandora now, thanks to Lindsay. Yeah. <laughs> I have to throw this out there, though. Um, and I, and it, it's kind of a bone of contention with me. For, so as you as podcasters out there, 
please, 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 and this is, I've been saying this probably for five years, please don't forget there's Android listeners out there. Mm-hmm. All right? We love Apple. Let's be frank. We all do. We love Apple and, and what they have done for the space. But don't forget, we have Android listeners out there who don't care about Apple products or services. You know, they, although they might have an iPad. But we have to make sure that they know how to subscribe to our shows through your sites. And if you're not having a, an ability for someone to subscribe via Google Podcasts, then you need to go back and look at your site because... Pandora well, is 50-50, well, Apple right. and... and uh, Stitcher's right up there. The truth but, of the matter is that Android is where the land grab for right. audiences well, right now. Yeah. Let's put things, right, right. Let's put things in perspective. There's land grabs on both sides, right? Apple Podcasts is on 1.4 billion devices, yeah. right? right? But only about 150 million people are listening to podcasts via Apple Podcasts. It's about 10% of the Apple devices are listening to podcasts. So there's 90% growth potential. So there's potential. still growth potential, right? But on Android, it's only about half a percent. Less than 1% are listening to podcasts. So there's growth on both platforms sure. and a lot of potential growth. So, it's uh, about getting the new listeners, there are so many new listeners yet to come that, that going he- one platform going head-to-head with another is really silly. We should be going head-to-head oh. with, with ignorance about podcasting. Well, well, honestly, what I'm starting to see is uh, all these big companies are starting to really compete for audience now. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of, uh, you know, I'm talking about Google or Pandora or Spotify. They're starting to get hungry for listeners. They're starting to compete. And that means that's, means that you, the listener, wins because they're going to innovate. They're going to do, try new things. They're going to feature podcasts more. They're going to advertise them because they want to win that market share. So I think it's good. So let's talk just a little bit about a topic that uh, has basically been taboo for many years. Many years we have not been able to play mainstream music in our podcast in any shape, form. There's just absolutely no way. And matter of fact, I've been on the receiving end of subpoenas providing download numbers for shows that have uh, violated the you know, copyright law. So we had a big announcement, or not we, but uh, SoundExchange and PodcastMusic.com had a big announcement earlier in the week about to come licensing of music and podcasts. I'm just kind of run down the rampant here. What, uh, what do you think of this? So I was a music litigator before uh, I represented podcasters, um, and I'm a copyright lawyer. I'm thrilled by this. I want to caution, you know, don't, don't think that this means you're going to get to use an ACDC song, song tomorrow. Um, this is still going to take a while. What they've created is a framework, and I think it's a very rational framework, and it's a framework that, that record labels and music publishers should want to sign on to. That doesn't mean they're going to do that quickly. Um, so, so there's still a lot of work to be done, but I, I certainly wish them well. This is something I've been preaching about, you know, for, for years now. Still, do not use music you don't have the rights to. Get, get your cousin to write a song and, and get her to sign a piece of paper that you have all the rights. Just, just five years ago at a RAIN conference, I asked a sound exchange executive what the chance of getting licensing for podcasts were. And he looked me in the eye and he said, five, uh, 10 years and $10 million is what it's going to take. So how times change in five years. Everyone else? I I really think it's just, you know, a nod to the influence that podcasting as a medium, as a channel is having in the overall media ecosystem. I think it's, you know, it's an indication of that. And we're excited. Anything that puts better content out there, makes the content more nuanced, attracts more people with that content we're in favor of. Podcasting's hot right now. Yeah. Yeah. I would just say, don't add music to your podcast just to add music. 
don't get drunk on it because it's something you can do. Do it because there's value to your show. Um, But just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. Yeah, I mean, a lot of shows don't need music. I mean, this show doesn't have any music in it. And we just didn't want to deal with it, actually. So, but, but, but we also keep in mind that this license is being talked about right now and being worked on. It's not necessarily going to be full track music. I mean, initially, it's going to be um, sample, samples of um, popular music, right, that you can play in your intros or your exits. It's not going to be full track, though you'll be able to get a license potentially, I think, for full track, but that's going to be expensive. Although the first two episodes I did in my show back in 2004, ACDC, Back in Black, first 30 seconds, man, was awesome. Those episodes <laughs> don't exist anymore. <laughs> right. I told you I did my research. That's why I said ACDC. Um, yeah, I, I just think as an industry, our, our, our rooms are pretty clean. Keep doing what you're doing. People are pretty aware of the fact that they shouldn't be using music they don't have the rights to. Uh, uh, two years, three years ago, um, I was at, listen to this story, a Grammy party with a guy from uh, Sony Music Publishing, and he asked me, do podcasts use music? I said, no. It's more shocking to the podcasters that get the legal papers or served because they have been playing music. So please, yeah. please, please don't do it. And, and go back to your back, to your back catalog and, and yeah. take out whatever you can. Because as these guys pointed out on their show two episodes ago, once there is a license available, that's when the bots start coming. And, and that's when people are going to start looking through the back catalogs and, and start to send either takedown notices or just going ahead and sending, sending subpoenas. That said, there is still an incredible library of indie music out there that you can still use today when you get the correct permission. So uh, don't forget about those indie artists because we know that traditional radio is not promoting anybody new in the space. So who knows? You might be the one to cause an indie band actually to make it big. So you want to move on and talk a little about content? Yeah. Todd? Let's do that. Go yeah. ahead. I'll let you take this. All right. Well, let's, let, let's talk about kind of, kind of the evolution of content in the podcasting medium. I think over the last couple of years, we've seen, you know, true crime, uh, which is a form of kind of, kind of reality um, content, but we've seen a spike in fiction, right? I, I just want to throw it out to, to everybody on the, on, on the show here just to say, where do you think we go from here with fiction, or are we just at the beginning stages of the opportunity of fiction? I would say this fiction podcasts have been there since day one. Patio books has had fiction right. podcasts. Lots of patio books, thousands of patio books were out there. Right. So I think, you know, thank you, Evo Terra, for running that. Right. So there's been fiction podcasts. It, I think it's just now what we're seeing is some press actually realizing that they're there. Uh, but, but podcasts like Girls in, Girls in Space, which are great podcasts, which were optioned into books. But it's got, it's got young people excited about this medium, though. I mean, fiction is one of those things, that, you know, there's a lot of fantasy, a lot of, a lot of um, imagination. People are excited about it and get involved in it. Like you say, Rob, it's been in the medium for a long time, but just about every genre has that's kind of new. Like, comedy's always been in podcasting, too. Um, but, you know, I don't know. What do you think, Sarah? Well, we're bringing, some, we're bringing Wolverine to life. You know, right. We're bringing a comic book to life through audio, which is kind of old school, because you can kind of imagine the right. old radio days, but also really fun and innovative on the podcast side. So yeah. I think the experimentation right. that's allowed when you can really 
do it well, and you can pay close attention to all of those little details, like the snick of the Wolverine, you know, blades coming out. I think it, you know, quality is going to really drive interest, and that's what we're seeing when you have shows. But also something new, like Three Questions with Andy Richter, which launched just a few weeks ago, is amazing. And it's just your sit-down conversation, but it's still driving, you know, huge audiences. So it's about quality, I think. Lindsay, what do you think? Yeah, so fiction, po- fiction is why I got involved in podcasting. Um, my first client as, a, as an attorney was Mac Rogers, who wrote The Message, and then Life After, and then Steal the Stars. Um, I'm going to shill for Stitcher for a little bit. You know, I, I worked on a lot of their fiction podcasts, and they did a great job of elevating the medium. But, but fiction podcasting, you know, even last year at Podcast Movement, there would be like maybe one or two sessions, and it would be Sarah uh, um, from Girl in Space and some other folks. It's really interesting because it, it, it attracts young people. We're seeing the stats on our platform that, that the time spent listening to fiction podcasts and fiction adjacent, right? Listening to people play actual play D&D. I subscribe to two of those, so they'll make fun. Um, people listen to those for two and three hours at a time, like it's a hardcore history for, for younger people. Um, it's also a more diverse, um, more diverse medium, uh, a lot like, uh, like fan fiction. You know, you'll find that fiction podcast, the indie community, is way queerer and, and way more diverse than, than some of the other parts of the podcast community. And those voices are important, and they're getting heard more and more, and it's going to start driving Hollywood. It's not Hollywood coming to us, it's us coming to Hollywood. Right. So is there going to be a Netflix of podcasting? I know that's a term that keeps coming up all the time, and we all wish it just went away. Netflix is podcasting. It's just they're not doing it the way that people are putting it in the context. The RSS feed is the Netflix of podcasting. Right, right. What do you guys think? Is that Luminary? Is Luminary the Netflix of podcasting? I think someone's scared to say anything. I'm on the record already. (laughs) I don't think they have a business. Okay. So I think they, I think they've got a, you know, they have a business. They got lots of money behind them, but I think they have a long road to go to find a, a pathway to profitability. I wish them luck because if they are successful, let's be frank, people in this audience are going to get paid. And, they, and in, in the end, we want podcasters to be able to podcast and be able to make enough money to take their their significant other to dinner, pay the car payment pay a house payment. I, I, you know, I'm all for podcasters earning money for their trade. So if it's through Luminary, fantastic. I just, you know, from a personal perspective, I think they have a long road to hoe on this and we'll see, we'll see what happens with them. And I wish them luck. And, you know, going back to those storytellers, you know, that probably is a perfect venue potentially for those shows to make additional money because they're not really designed to have a good gateway for advertising, although some folks have done some creative stuff in the past. I think when I went to PodCon two years ago, it's now an extinct event. It only lasted two years. Uh, my jaw dropped on the floor when I saw these creative people that I really was kind of astonished. There was a, I've told this story many times, they had a board there where they were um, had scrap paper out and people, they could do newspaper clippings or whatever where they were do a, um, create an ad for your podcast. And I just kind of, be honest with you, I kind of rolled my eyes at it and I walked by it and I said, who's going to do that? You know, that's like something for kids. And dummy me, I walked back the next day and it was loaded and it was amazingly creative and I took pictures of it and I was astonished. So And cosplay too. Cosplay. Cosplay like like Comic-Con. And the talent, my God, was amazing and it's just not a genre that I was necessarily consuming, 
but uh, it definitely really kind of opened my eyes. So I think those genres are going to have a good place in, in that pay, pay per play. Maybe that's not the right word to say, but um, those yeah. subscription models. Yeah, and moms and dads were bringing their young children to this podcasting event because of the of the um, of the fantasy of it, you know. And one thing we haven't talked about yet is is why podcasting seems to be spiking in interest right now. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about the golden age of podcasting. Are we in the golden age of podcasting? And I tend to think that it's it's really about um, trust and authenticity is one of the reasons why podcasting is doing well right now. Because social media is struggling right now from a trust perspective. People are bailing on Facebook, um, but people are flocking to um, podcasting because it's a trusted medium. Well, there's some people trying to in, come in into the space that are trying to kill that trust. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I can't wait for CCPA to kick in on January 1st. Well, I, let's I, talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea what that is. Let's not talk about that. CCPA <laughs> is California Consumer Privacy Act. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. I know all the, that. the problem right. with a lot of the people in advertising, they don't realize in podcasting that there's no opt-in. And that just blows their mind. They're used to people going to a website and having the option to opt-in, or they think even opting out is option. That doesn't happen in podcasting. It's RSS-based. There's no place for the consumer to opt-in. And there are people doing some really creepy tracking stuff right now in this space. And then they'll say, oh, but it's, it's okay. People can, some say, oh, we can let them opt out. Well, no, you can't. That's not how trust works. And, and then the other ones is, are you compl GDPR compliant? Oh, yeah, we're GDPR compliant. We just don't let things work in Europe. Well, that's not compliant. That's avoidant. So to be GDPR compliant, your tools have to work in Europe. And if your tools don't work in Europe, then you're screwing people's privacy. And look what's happening right now to Facebook. Facebook's getting a lot of backlash over, over privacy, and we don't want that happening in podcast space. And those that don't get that in this space right now, they are a detriment to this space, and they need to go. That was a question that was set up for us to talk about what's great and growing about podcasting and why it's such an optimistic, <laughs> democratic feel. Right you just <laughs> killed it. What? I'm, I'm, Back to the happy note. That's right. What's great about podcasting? I think podcasting is growing and having a moment. Um, but, but, but because of the reasons you always talk about, actually, though you just fail to talk about it, is, is uh, a liberated syndication, right? Yeah. The democratization of not just having something to say like social media, but actually talent and actually crafting something and the immediacy of being right in people's ear canals. I, I do want to, didn't get a chance to, to bag on Luminary, and I promised everybody fireworks. So I'm going to disagree with you. Okay. Uh, no, I, I wish them well, too. I think their business model is going to work, and it's going to work in more than just fiction, because right now, the, the industry's growing so much, everybody's business model is going to work. The right. thing to do is stand back and, and look what other people are doing well and, and, and adopt that, and we should all be learning from each other, because this is, we're all really lucky to be in this business right now. We are almost out of time, and I want to take this moment to have our guests give you their points of contact, so if you want to send an email to one of them, uh, Rob W. My email is very simple, Rob, R-O-B, at Libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. Sarah? Sarah.VanMosel at Stitcher.com. Lindsay? Rob at Libsyn, dot com. L. Bowen at Pandora, dot com. And Rob, number two? <laughs> oh, um, I can be found on Twitter, at Rob Greenlee, and that's two E's, and I can, I can get an email, too, from you, uh, Rob G at Libsyn, dot com, same spelling. 
I'm Todd at Blueberry.com or at Geek News on Twitter. I want to thank you very much for listening or attending our live recording of the New Media Show. Make sure you get over to NewMediaShow.com. Click the subscribe button on the page. We thank you. Share our show with your fellow podcasters. We do this show every Saturday when we are both available. Thank you much for attending the New Media Show. Take care. Thank you. Woo, let's you. give a huge Thanks. round of applause for our panelists.